All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but it is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And with me today, I actually have two additional guests. Not one, but two. So it should be an extra special day. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Um, With me today, actually, listeners, if you have been with us for a long time, one of the voices may sound familiar. They have been here before. And then my other guest is brand new to the show. Uh, but within a couple seconds here, they won't be new anymore. They will be a veteran of the Rethinking Faith podcast. So with me today is returning guest Chad and our new friend, Steve. Chad and Steve, how's it going, guys? Real good. Hey, man. Hey, man. Good to be back. Yeah, welcome back. Welcome back. It's been a while. How long has it been? Oh, man, probably two years. I lived I think. In, we, I think... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I lived in Florida at the time, right? Oh, it's probably like two and a half years ago then. Oh, goodness. That's crazy. Oh, sorry. Forgive my doorbell. The uh, DoorDash person must be here. So forgive that noise. Uh, Anyway, what I would like to do just briefly um, to help listeners just to get to know you guys a little bit better is I have some questions that I tend to ask guests and I'm going to throw them your way. Uh, you guys can fight amongst yourselves who is going to go first. So Chad or Steve, who wants to be quizzed first? Chad. I don't mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> go ahead, Chad. <laughs> All right. Who's going to go first? Chad. With Chad? All right. So we'll go Chad first. All right. So Chad, uh, for starters, just tell me, or actually tell our listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Just give us some context. My name is Chad, and I live in West Palm Beach, Florida. I currently work as a handyman slash mover locally. I've been Christian my entire life, 45 years old. I guess that's about it. (laughs) There you go. Perfect. All right, well, Chad, do you have a favorite ice hockey team? I do. Florida Panthers. But don't ask me to name anyone on there because I would have no clue. Fair enough. All right. (laughs) Fair enough. 
And then finally, uh, what do you feel is perhaps the most important aspect of your faith that you had to rethink? The most important aspect of my faith is probably that God is bigger than the Bible. That's nice. my my biggest, most recent maybe thing that I've had to rethink that mm. that God and God's love are bigger than what any man or woman can capture in writing and put in a book. Nice. I dig it. Right on, man. All right. Well, I wish you the best of luck in continuing continuing down that path. That's a fun journey to go on. Thanks, man. I like it. Good deal. All right. Well, now that we've spent some time with our returning guest, let's welcome Steve into the conversation. Steve, thanks for your patience, man. But could you just also do the same thing that Chad did? Just tell our listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and and what kind of things you find yourself doing. Sure thing. So yeah, I'm Steve and I live in Florida where I met Chad many years ago. And I guess that's why I'm here on the podcast right now. And I am a longtime advertising marketing guy in my career. I owned an advertising agency for a very long time, which I sold in March of 2020. And now I'm supposed to be retired, but I'm not doing a very good job of retirement. I'm doing a lot of consulting and a lot of volunteering with a couple of business organizations. And I have a wife and a couple of kids uh, who are grown and I tend to play a lot of chess and guitar when I'm not working, which is rare. So that's who I am. Right on. Well, thank you. Do you, by any chance, have a favorite ice hockey team? Yeah, well, living in Florida, I have to go with the Florida Panthers, just as Chad uh, did. But again, I'm sorry to say I'm a, I'm a disgrace to the ice hockey world because I have been to a few games. So it's fun to go to the games, but I really don't follow it or know the players. Yeah, no worries, man. I do feel outnumbered, though, here. I have two Florida yeah. Panther fans. To my to my one Washington Capitals fan. Although while I was in South when I lived in South Florida, the Florida Panthers were the second team I followed. You know, I would go to their games and I enjoyed cheering them on. But if the Caps came to town, then you know, all of that was out the window. But if the Caps weren't playing them, then I would cheer for the Panthers all the way. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I'll level uh, the more uh, serious question your way uh, that I asked Chad. And that is, what do you feel is perhaps the most important aspect of your faith that you had to rethink? Yeah, Josh. So I'm a listener of your podcast. So I knew that question was coming. So uh, I'll jump right in. And I think the, the biggest part of my faith that I had to rethink is that I don't know very much. And well, I'm a bit older than than you guys, so uh, I've been in this game for you know 45, 47 years or something. And there was a time when I thought I pretty much had it figured out, and I've had to come to the conclusion that I don't really know a whole lot. And even bigger than that is the conclusion that nobody knows a whole lot, and that's the that's the tough one. Is that you know the the experts can't agree. And um, the guy who has all the answers 
is followed right behind with somebody else who has all the answers that disagree with his answers. So yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing I've had to rethink. Yeah, that's huge. That's good. It reminds me of the, uh, the old saying, I know enough to know that I don't know much. <laughs> yeah. And the more I keep learning, the more I know, I don't know much. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But I think, uh, what's funny though, is cause that, I mean, and this is a total sidebar conversation, but that kind of, for me, at least draws out the idea of, uh, what we call wisdom, uh, because there's knowledge and there's wisdom. You Absolutely. can know, you can know a whole bunch of stuff, but wisdom is being able to say, I know enough to know that I don't know much. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> there's something yeah. different there cool awesome well thank you guys both for entertaining my silly questions and also for giving uh really honest answers to the um more serious one uh like i've said before asking questions about our our faith and the, the things that we've had to rethink can be difficult to talk about um just because it is such like a, a personal thing but also there's a lot of baggage and trauma that can come with that uh so thank you guys but I, today, what I wanted to talk about, actually, this came up as Chad's idea, uh, but there's a film that was put out recently on Netflix called Pray Away. And Pray Away, basically, listeners, if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend you go watch it. Like, if you want to pause this episode right now and go watch that, uh, that would be really helpful. You don't have to. Um, it might just give you a little bit of context and help you follow along a little bit better. But Pray Away basically is a movie about um, what was called gay, and I mean, it still exists, but gay conversion therapy. And specifically, it follows the story of a, a few different people um, and this really big ministry called Exodus and um, almost the rise and fall, forgive the, <laughs> the language, because I know rise and fall of Mars Hill is popular right now, but the rise and fall of uh, these kind of things. And so basically, um, Chad wanted to, to have this conversation. So Chad, do you want me to keep framing it? Or do you want to kind of talk about why you wanted to specifically have this conversation with Steve and I? I guess the thought process for me was when I watched this documentary on Netflix, that it kind of, it kind of hit me hit me hard and took me to a place that I I kind of pushed pushed away and had forgotten and and it's funny because Josh I've known you for a, a few years you you know me now and Steve I've known for 25 years or more and he knew me then and and to give context to that is I was a I was a, a military brat growing up in the 80s and in the late 80s, early 90s, I realized I was also a gay kid in the closet trying to navigate through the world called church. So I thought it could be an interesting conversation to talk about some of the journey that I've been on along with the two of you, because you have a perspective that, that could be different from different eras of my life. Sweet. Yeah, well, right on. Oh, I appreciate you thinking of uh of myself and also steve <laughs> it's a cool it was a cool idea and i was readily uh excited to to have the conversation so should be good um but i guess just if you'd be willing because i mean you hinted at it briefly but like i said this this documentary is about gay conversion therapy 
um, and people who have uh, gone to it, who are advocates of it, who are spokespeople for it, who practiced it, you know, as, as practitioners of this um, kind of air quotes uh, therapy. Uh, but Chad, you have uh, like actual personal experience mm-hmm. with this, right? Can you just yes. share with us a little bit um, what that was like, like your experience with, with gay conversion therapy? Yeah, I was in, I, like I said, I grew up in the church and I, I did everything I could to, to be, to be holy, to do the right thing and to be what the church wanted me to be. And that, and the message I was hearing from the church was that any, any references scripturally about homosexuality, there's like seven references. It was, it would say very hurtful, harmful things used language like abomination and, and things like that. And as I was growing up, I internalized those, those statements and it really, really messed me up. And that carried over with me through high school and into college and even past college. And I was in my late, late twenties when I decided that I, I needed to rip homosexuality out of my life because it was just ruining everything. So I decided to go to a, a um, conversion camp, I guess, um, called Love in Action in Memphis, Tennessee. And I checked myself in and I started the process in that setting. And I, I learned before long that, that even in that, that especially, I guess, <clears throat> for me in that setting, I realized I'm gay. And there's no amount of conversation that anyone I could have with anybody that can change that. And for me to get healthy, I actually needed to start accepting that and seeing how God loved me as a gay man and, and through all of that. So then I, I, left the, um, I left that therapy stuff and started a journey of embracing the, the man that God made me. And learning to love the gay man that God made me. And now that it's 15 years later, I'm still on that journey. And then when I saw this documentary, Pray Away, it brought me back because I, I, saw, I saw some of the people that I've had conversations with in real life on that film. And I can remember the language and the, and the things that were said. And I can remember the the emotions I felt when I saw some of the, some of the scenes portrayed. And it was, uh, when I, when I finished this documentary, I sat just for maybe a good hour, just thinking and processing and, and realizing that, um, that this is still a, a tough topic in the church setting. That is not something that everyone has gotten through. It's still a, a work in progress, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And I, I remember too, like when I first stumbled upon the the documentary, I watched it and then my immediate thing was like, oh, I want to tell Chad to watch this. But then I was like, hey, watch this movie, but it's also going to mess you up. <laughs> yeah, and it did mess me up. So I guess I'm a bad friend is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're a good friend. <laughs> but but out of that, this conversation was born. So I mm-hmm. just so thank, thanks for sharing just a little bit of context so people know where you're coming from. 
I guess what I want to do now is just kind of open up the floor in general to just at least first discuss um, maybe immediate thoughts or reactions uh, to the film as a whole. Um, and that's a, an open question for anybody here. Um, just kind of want to foster some conversation around it, the film in general, and then we'll kind of go more into some of the details. Okay. Well, I, I have something I can toss out on that. And that is that I know that uh, in the final analysis, the film concludes how harmful this uh, conversion therapy is, et cetera. And we have Chad right here with us who would uh, bear that out. But I want to just make, make the point that in the very film itself, the people who were, were past tense, proponents of this therapy said very clearly that we thought we were doing the right thing. And so, and, you know, now they look back and they say, wow, we hurt so many people. And I mean, one guy even said he had blood on his hands. Um, but I think it hit me and I, I Josh, you said you're going to get into some details later, but um, Chad, when he said that it messed him up, I don't know if I should get into this now, but I'll, I'll say it. Um, what messed me up was that I probably would have been one of those guys who would have suggested that Chad go there. You know, Chad was totally in the closet when I knew him, uh, you know, uh, and, and he was youth counselor and worship leader, you know, my, my kids. And I, I love Chad since the day I met him. Um, but I probably would have been one of those guys that said, well, that, that would be a good idea. And I would have been wrong, you know? And I, I think that um, that was something that really kind of messed me up. Well, Steve, I'm, I was in the closet and I'm still gay and I would have been the one saying that I should go there too. Because <laughs> mm. I was so indoctrinated with believing how horrible of a person I was from, from what I was hearing. So I would have been right there with you very loudly saying, yes, go, go fix yourself. And I was doing everything when, I could to do that. And then when you left and you sat at my dinner table and wept, it was a totally different conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. Chad, do you feel like, so at least based off your experience, again, this is speculative, um, but do you feel like your experience of um, being a gay person that wanted to check yourself in to this program, was that commonplace? Like, is that, was that kind of the experience of other people who were there as well? Was it something that, you know, people are maybe sent to by friends and family, maybe kind of against their will, like what, just out of your experience, I'm just, I'm just curious if. if I, yeah, I can only speak into, I guess, the class of gays that walked into the, the therapy when I went, there was four of us. I was the musician from Florida and there was a dancer from LA. There was a hairdresser from Georgia. And then there was a pastor's kid from Missouri. So I, I don't think everyone's experience is, I definitely want to go there. I think some experiences are you better go or else. I, th I think there was a mix of that. I think it was probably 50-50. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was, I was just wondering. That was a, yeah. a question that came to mind. Um, but I guess for me, like the thing, since since you both shared some things that messed you up about the film, the thing that really 
excuse me, bothered me was just that um, it brought back things that I kind of stopped thinking about Um, because like with the podcast and stuff, I was like, oh, well, like I've done episodes about homosexuality in the past. People know where I stand on this. Um, I don't want to think about that anymore. You know, I kind of had this attitude where I was like, oh, my goodness, like I'm out of the church world now in the sense I'm not a pastor. Um, and like interacting with quote unquote regular people in my daily job situations, like this isn't a, the kind, the kind of conversation and argument that I was having within the church, I haven't found elsewhere. It was just like, oh yeah, gay people. Cool. Whatever. Like they're gay. Sure. And so it felt silly to me. I was like, why do I have to keep having this argument? And so then when I watched, when I watched this film, it kind of like convicted me somewhat to like well dude like the reason this conversation still matters is because it's still affecting other people and like i was coming at it you know i have some personal connection because i have you know chad um you're my friend i have some other uh, gay friends as well both of my brothers are in the lgbtq community um so like there's that personal connection, but like, it's not something that I personally have experienced. And so for me to be like, okay, I had that conversation that settled in my mind. I'm going to push it away. Now let's go talk about something else. And then to watch the film and be like, oh no, holy shit. Like this, this matters because people's lives are at stake. Like this is affecting real people, um, including my friend. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of a kick in the teeth for me and just like, a like a reawakening, like, nah, man, like these conversations really do matter. Um, yeah. And that was a point that was made in the documentary as well, that the, the people who were highlighted in the documentary, most of them turned back, you know, turned out of the anti, I think they called them X, X, X gay or something. I don't remember, but, but they, they made that point that, you know, this is still happening and there's still a movement here. Others have, we have, we have turned around, but others have picked up this, uh, this cause. Um, and the one guy, of course, that they uh, vignetted there, you know, he's a strong proponent of the whole ex let's ungay people thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, to just one other thing that really stood out to me um was i i forget her name so forgive me but like one of she was basically the main protagonist of the film um she has a book that she wrote and such but she what's up julie julie roberts i think yeah uh yeah something like that um i have the book over there i could grab it but um she reads an excerpt from that book and in it she talks about uh causing harm to herself if i remember correctly she would heat up a yeah. quarter heat up a yeah. quarter and then run it across her arm and like it, yeah. it made these lines in her arm and then she would she talked about how she had after that she had this experience of for months she would then every day treat the wound with like neosporin and stuff like that and she talked about how that was a time when she felt safe and comfortable in her body because she was being tender and compassionate and nurturing to her body, which was something that wasn't a normal thing for her. And then 
at the end of the film, if I remember correctly, again, they, they show a shot of her in her wedding dress uh, in front of her bride and her arm is exposed. And those (laughs) markings are, are on her arm. She is scarred from that. And that, um, like it was already a teary eyed movie for me, but there I just uh, was done after that. I was, <laughs> I was crying for sure. Uh, that really, that really stuck with me, that visual. Yeah. And the other thing about her, if you remember, was that she had been like the, the poster child for that one guy who was um, the, the big time Let's yeah. anti-gay people. Ricky Shillette. Right. What was his name? Richie. R- Ricky Shillette. Yeah. And to the point I thought was really horrible that she wanted to leave out uh, a very traumatic experience, uh, a part of her story, which I don't even want to say because she wanted to leave it out. And he forced her to tell that part of her story during the you know, the traveling presentations that they would do together because it made her story more dramatic. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's really celebrate the trauma. So, so it makes us sound more, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Chad, any, any other things stand out to you? Cause I, I can name a few as well, but <laughs> I want to get you in here too. Yeah. There was a scene where, I believe it was Ricky Stilett as well doing a one-on-one counseling session with this young man. He was married, but the young man had, uh, I guess, cheated on his wife and was having sex with men. And he was just so broken and just so, so just beating himself up. And like, I've never been married. Like, I, I don't know what it's like to not be faithful to a spouse. But I do know what it's like to sit there and feel so much shame and so much brokenness and trying to process that. I mean, there were moments where he said, I just don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. And I can remember feeling that as well. And I remember that was a that was a tough spot for me. And one other spot that I remember was kind of towards the end when some of the leaders were being challenged by the by the XX gay members in an interview with Lisa Ling. And, and the one guy said that I'm so damaged because I was trying to do what was right. Because the church was telling me to do something that was right. And I couldn't do it. And I was trying. And that is why I'm hurting. That is why I'm messed up. That is why I'm scarred. Because I was trying to do what was right. And I could definitely re- relate to that as someone growing up in the church, just wanting, I wanted to be normal. I wanted God to love me too. I wanted to have fulfilling relationships too. I wanted, and, and I tried everything. I would go to libraries and lead, read books. I would go to seminars and listen to people speak. I would pray to God, God, please, please, please take this gay stuff away from me. Cause I want to be normal. I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. I want to be like everyone else that I see, but I, I could never ever measure up. And, and it really damaged me a lot. And there was um, a lot of healing that I needed to get through 
and I couldn't get into that until till, till later. Yeah, what? So for you, what was the the turning point? Because I remember, well, so earlier you were talking about how you yourself checked yourself in. But then also you're talking about um, how once, once you were there, it kind of had the opposite effect. Um, it actually solidified to yourself, like, no, this is who I am. Um, and you wanted to leave that place. And I remember um, you and I were working in the church when we worked together. We were working, I don't know, doing something, painting something, building something. Um, and I put on the song, Be My Escape. Hopefully this isn't, uh, I don't think this is too personal, but like, uh, it's, it's a Reliant K song. And I was like, yeah, I love this song. And you're like, yeah, like this, this was like my jam during my time uh, in the program. <laughs> and so like, what, where, do you remember, like, what was the turning point for you? What shifted that you went from like, I want to be in this program to like, I, like, I, I want to get out of here. I think just my entire life up until my late twenties, I just wanted to be normal. And there was, um, I was make I was making some life decisions that were not good and I needed to work through some things and and I ended up going there and I remember sitting in the in the meetings and the group session as they called it and I, I remember making friends with some of the other guys that were in there and it was the first time the first time in my life I felt comfortable being around other gay people and that happened at gay conversion therapy because i i had told myself so told myself that to be around someone that is gay is is terrible like you got to keep that stuff secret you can't tell people about that you've got to run from that and, and what i found in in therapy was that these these gay people are really good people I can see their hearts and I can see the Jesus inside of them. And it's kind of messed up that we're trying to take this thing that God created as part of us and try to kill it. And it was in those meetings that I started getting more comfortable with homosexuality and being gay. Yeah. Right on. Like (laughs) I was, I, I'm chuckling because it just it seems so ironic to me that like the the therapy that was supposed to change you so to speak it had the exact opposite effect <laughs> and perhaps yeah, I, I think that was the start of it but then then there was yeah. just some other things in life that I mean as you get older you, you you should learn some things and I think I've learned some things in my faith journey and mm. my and the and the road I've been in the road I've traveled Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could even say in my exp- after after all that, after the therapy at Love and Action, I came back and I was just trying to refigure out life. And I eventually landed in a in a Methodist church and, and the Methodist church is a little bit more more affirming and open about members of the LGBTQ plus community. And there was some healing that happened for me there. And I know that that recently there was a big vote in the Methodist church and it didn't go the way that maybe people wanted that were part of the LGBTQ plus community. But there's a lot of, a lot of love there in the Methodist church that I can, I can testify to. 
for mm-hmm. sure. And it was so funny, like when when the vote went in a way that that um, didn't support clergy in the Methodist Church, if they were LGBTQ plus affirming or they wanted to perform weddings or if they were gay themselves. Um, I remember that. I mean, I remember so many of my friends that were straight came up to me and they said they're so heartbroken over this. And and I can remember thinking, wow, you just got a taste of my whole life. Mm. You got one taste, one taste, one day of what it feels like to walk into a church as someone from the LGBTQ plus community. You, your hopes are so high and they got crushed. And that's kind of what it is walking into church a lot of times, even now, even in the church I'm in right now, like I, like I play in the band, I had to sign, sign papers that says I won't do gay stuff, whatever that means. And so I, uh, I signed the papers because I didn't think I was being very gay at that moment, but I, I wouldn't direct people to this podcast to hear me because I might get kicked out of the band or who knows? Maybe that wouldn't bother me so much. <laughs> I don't know. It probably wouldn't. I have a question I'd like to ask Chad from the yeah. documentary. Is that of okay? Of course, absolutely. Steve. I know you're the you're the host. But... Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is this is a three way conversation, less of an interview, more of a conversation. So feel free. Okay. Thanks, Chad. There was a part of that documentary that I'm not going to tell you the effect it had on me. I wonder what the effect it was that it had on you. But it's where they showed this um, big camp meeting of a bunch of, uh, you know, people who were trying to become ungay, right? And mm-hmm. the women, they took them and, like, did all this kind of makeup w- with them. And the guys, they took them and had them play football. And, um, and then there was also the part about Julie Rogers where her mother wouldn't let her play softball. Because, yeah, she thought, well, no, yeah, I chuckled. So that I, 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 sh- I showed you my hand a little bit there. But what was your feeling like, you know, OK, we want you to be girls. So do makeup and we want you to be guys. So play football. <laughs> um, like when they when they brought the guys out to that field and they were playing football, I can remember having that same experience when I went to Love in Action back in 2006. I, I, I did that. I was part of that. It was right after we went on a, a hike through the woods because that was a manly thing to do. And I can remember that they would talk about how a man should fold his legs and things like that and what you're supposed to look like as a man and so many different things. And when I saw that scene, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I think I definitely spoke out loud in my empty apartment and, or just scoff like, yeah, right. I, I just rolled my eyes like, get it. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Stop it. Because yeah. like, because I think and I think the church is guilty of thinking that homosexuality is a behavior Mm. and it's not it's not a behavior it's just how you were made and how you're wired 
Yeah, and they they stress that exact point. <clears throat> excuse me, within the film, I felt a lot mm-hmm. because they they were talking about people were talking about like, yeah, like they would talk about like your gay feelings versus your behavior, and even one of the guys who was this like the figurehead, right? Like he was like a quote unquote ex gay man and his wife that he married was a former lesbian and then they were married and they were doing all this stuff together. And he was talking about how during those times when he was leading and giving these talks and stuff, he was like, yeah, of course, like I was lying to people. Of course I still felt gay because I was, but I I couldn't say that. I couldn't talk about my feelings and what was actually happening internally. I couldn't talk about how I was wired. But if I could show the church that I'm doing all the stuff that a man should do, which again, this ties back in and an interested thread into this conversation is the role of patriarchy within the church. Like that is still like that, all the repercussions of that still have not been, been recognized, but this is one of them because it's taking these false ideas of what it means to be a man and then applying it. So it was like, as long as I did the thing, that made me look like a man, I was good. I was still gay, but I was behaving in a way that that said otherwise. And that but don't you think, but but don't you think that's kind of one of the big problems with churches in general? That we oftentimes bow down to the idol of image. Yeah. Absolutely. 100 percent Like I because I've seen people get like like, like kicked off the team at a church or kicked off the platform at a church because of something somebody saw on Instagram mm-hmm. because it doesn't look holy and we can't associate our image, the church's image with someone that is not looking to be righteous. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're getting a little bit away from the documentary, but I'll, I'll flip that coin on the other side. Mm-hmm. And Chad and and Josh, as I told you, I'm a little older. And and my thing is that I'm really good at looking good. (laughs) Um, You know, I I mean, as a Christian, you know, I I happen to be a very disciplined person. It's not that I'm a great Christian. It's that I'm disciplined in everything I do. Uh, You know, I do triathlon. I get up every day, six days a week and work out. And I so I can also get up and read five chapters of the Bible and have a really elaborate prayer list and memorize two scriptures a week and do all these things that people would look at and say, wow, he's a great Christian. But at the same time, you know, I, I might be treating my wife poorly or having some kind of, you know, anger against people and stuff. So it's, yeah, that's the other side of that coin. You can, you can look good and, and not have your character be like Christ's character at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that ties in nicely to what Chad was saying. Like that seems to be like a systemic issue within, um, I don't want to say the church as a whole, because my friend Gabriel Gordon corrected me on that. Um, I, I'm going to, I'll talk about the church in my experience, which happens to be Western evangelical Christianity. Um, but yeah, like that, that was the thing you could, you know, as long as you appeared to be in the right, then it was, it was okay, you know, um, 
is about image control. And I think churches still operate that way. It's about image control and uh, things like that. And so then it just gets applied the same way in this situation. So Chad, I think your point is well taken. It's, it's not just uh, here's what we do within the LGBTQ community, but also it's kind of our thing overall. <laughs> yeah, so I'll just wrap this back to where I started. I yeah. felt really, I felt really sorry for her when I saw that. I'm like, okay, this is how you fix your hair. This is how you paint your nails. You know, so you can look like a woman. Um, yeah, I felt sorry for her. You know? Yeah, because it didn't change her. Yeah, and maybe she didn't want to paint her nails. Like, I don't want to play football. I'd rather read a book, you know? I, or, or or what if you go through and do all those things and nothing changes internally? Yeah. And then you feel like a failure. Mm. Yeah, that that reminds me too, just another practical idea to tie into that. I remember I worked at a church in South Florida. Chad, this was prior to when I worked with you at the Methodist Church. This was that non-denominational place that I worked at. and one of the main things that they taught about was money. If you give us money, God will bless you. It was board, it was prosperity gospel basically. And I remember there was a very faithful uh, congregant there and she uh, volunteered every week in multiple capacities, including children's ministry and welcoming people and setting up and tearing down and all this kind of stuff. And they always would always preach like, oh, if you give your offering, if you tithe, then God will bless you. Then like your financial issues will come to, you know, fruition. It'll be fine. Da, 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 da. And I remember her stopping me in the hallway one day before church crying. And she was like, Pastor Josh, I've been coming here for X amount of years. And I've been doing exactly what the pastors here tell me to do in regards to my finances. I tithe every week. I give to every giving opportunity. I go above and beyond my 10% and still my financial situation hasn't changed. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. What's wrong with me that I'm yeah. doing everything the church is telling me to do and still I'm not getting the results. And so it's just, it seems to be a, a common symptom applied in different areas. I mean, well, so yeah, that's, yeah. It's very, it's very common because it's, it's that whole thing come just as you are to church and we will teach you to be exactly like us. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. yeah. And I think too, if I can share a person that I felt bad for within the documentary, and um, I say this with full risk of it being, um, I don't know, it's, it's going to sound like a douchebag thing to say. And I apologize for that, but I I'm just being honest. The gentleman um, who formerly uh, was a trans woman um, and then stopped doing that and then just identified as what some people call your biological sex um, and then was uh, holding these rallies and stuff, you know, ex-gay rallies and ex-trans rallies and stuff like that. Um, and this is this is 100% judgmental. And that's why I'm, I'm hanging myself up on saying this. But I, I felt bad for this person because I know that person is still gay <laughs> or is still trans or still experiences those things. Like that's the core of who they are. And they're fighting against it. And they're, they're, they're doing the same to other people. And I feel bad because that person is not able to actually live out 
um, who they know themselves to truly be. And, you know, I guess one could argue from the flip side that they're doing it for a quote unquote noble reason. Um, you could argue like, oh, well, as a Christian, you died to yourself and blah, 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 blah. So I get the flip side of it. Um, but that was a person that the whole time I, I really felt bad for because every time they were on camera, it just, it didn't feel authentic. I have like a pretty decent BS detector. Um, and it just, it didn't seem authentic. It, it didn't sit with me right. Is, am I wrong for saying that? Like, didn't you feel that way? Yeah. You know, you, you put a lot of disclaimers around that, Josh. And all I would say to the listeners is that if you have any concern about what Josh just said, watch the documentary and you'll see that guy. You'll clearly identify which guy he's talking about and conclude for yourself whether you think what Josh is saying is true or not, because I, well, I'll just leave it at that. I don't think anybody's going to have a, well, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, but he's picking up a baton and he's becoming famous with it. What else is he supposed to do? Mm. Uh, yeah, and like he has a platform and his name is now known. He was searching before and he finally got it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that that's a good point. So now... <laughs> He's becoming famous and known. He's finding the acceptance, the inclusion, the mm-hmm. everything that he was looking for and trying by, to by the church, by the church. Yeah. But it's a it's a false acceptance and inclusion because again, it's a, not as you are, but as we want you to be kind of vibe. That's a good point, Chad. I didn't think about that. Hmm. Um any other just yeah i I have something else yeah yeah yeah. keep going you know i i think that um well just speaking for myself and you know i know josh you talk about a journey of becoming and you know i'm still becoming and if i look at where i've come from to where I, i i've become one big thing is the understanding that people are individuals and so i think if i went back 30 years, you know, or whatever, to the, the Chad type of person that would, would just say, you know, I'm, I have the same sex attraction. That would be all I would need to know uh, at that time. Like, okay, well then, you know, you should go to this place. But now I realize that people have a story and they're individuals. And I hope I would never do that again. I hope I would sit down with Chad. And if, of course, who knows if he could be that I'm using Chad's name, but it could be anybody mm-hmm. who knows if that person could be that, that vulnerable and, and real and say, you know, all right, tell me your story. You know, what's your story. And it's much more difficult to put people in a box when you know their story, you know? Uh, yeah. So it would be nice, you know, if, if I had that mentality, uh, 30 years ago, but at least I have it now. So I don't know how you feel about that, Chad. Like, you know, the, the feeling that you had, that you had to go there and do that. Maybe if somebody could have listened to your story, it might've made a difference. I think 
that had I heard a different story growing up, mm. that it could have saved a lot of hurt and pain in my life. That I would have been a more healthy and a more whole person. And I would have known God a lot better, a more accurate version of God, the true version of God. If things in the church weren't said as they are still currently being said, let's not try to look the other way and pretend like it's not still there because it is, it's still there. I, I think, I think the story of God's love and how I'll, t- I'll say this, Jesus has sat with me. Jesus has sat with me. Yeah, I think you're touching in on a, a really important aspect of this kind of conversation, and it's it's that of uh, treating people as people. <laughs> as Christians, we make this radical claim that human beings are made in the image of God, uh, but then we're also very quick to forget that because we have our, our, our ideas, our, our concepts, our doctrines, our dogmas, our statements of faith or whatever. And then there are these abstractions. There are ideas that exist out here and that's all they are. They're, they're purely abstractions. They're not reality as it is because reality can't be abstracted. As, as, as soon as you start breaking down reality uh, or the whole of this experience, um, it becomes abstract and it's, it's no longer actual reality. And so once, once you forget that and you start just holding ideas above people, then yeah. you're done. And I think Jesus demonstrated the opposite of that. I think Jesus very clearly sought after people and relationship with people above and beyond ideas, the ideas, Absolutely. things like that didn't matter. It was the yeah. experience of this person. Yes. Um, and I, I think the church could learn a lot from that still. Because far too often ideas matter more than the actual experience of a person. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I, easy to hate an idea. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But when you have a person in front of you who you know and get to know, it's much deeper. Yeah, yeah, because ideas can be can become a a rallying cry, and you can use that as a emotional motivator. And there's a lot of I've I've seen a lot of experiences, like with 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 church, where the for example, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Like recently I was at church and I, I hear the pastor say very loudly and charismatically, as long as people are going to hell, we're going to keep our doors open. And I'm sitting there thinking, when did gathering together become a part? When did gathering together be, become part of anything to do with hell? Yeah. Why, why aren't we gathering together and, and, and loving God and loving each other and let that be enough? Yeah. And, and I see these altar calls and raise your hand for this or raise your hand for that. And as, as someone who is in a privileged spot, I go up and I play the, the keyboard and I'm part of this 
I don't know, charade. I don't even know what to call it anymore. Um, I'm sitting there playing some pads and the pastor's preaching and pastor says, raise your hand for this or raise your hand for that. And nobody raises their hand, but there's someone staged in the back room. They start clapping. So everyone thinks that someone raised their hand and like there's a big emotional moment and the lights change and there's smoke going. And I'm, I'm thinking, what, what, what am I a part of? What is this? Like, why are we gathering? It, it's not to get on a soapbox. Uh, is it about an idea? Or is it to have an actual encounter with God, with each other? So I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in a little bit into my heart right now, and I apologize for that. But if I'm honest, I'm a little frustrated with this thing that we know as churches, that, that I know as churches. I'm struggling. Yeah, dude, don't ever apologize for getting into heart. <laughs> that is the very thing that pushed me out of being a pastor because I apologized for doing just that because I was, I was good and I was content when I had my ideas. I could articulate all the right ideas. I didn't believe half of them because I had my own crisis going on but I could articulate the ideas, but the, the, my experience didn't align with the ideas that I was told I had to articulate. And it, I, it, it's the same with this conversation. People say this stuff about the LGBTQ community and it's, it's this and it's that. And then um, I, <laughs> my experience in life doesn't match what I've been told. The ideas are bullshit. The experience has to matter. So never apologize for going into heart because that's experience is, is what you have. Experience is, is this is, is being present to the moment. And uh, those things matter um, greatly. So like, I'd, I'd much rather have, and I'm stealing this from, from Rob Bell, but I'd much rather have a conversation uh, three hearts speaking to one another than three brains posturing and throwing out ideas. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Hey, can I, uh, can I toss a curveball into this conversation? Always. And it's just, it's just curveball for curveball sake. Okay. I, um, so I, I have this phrase I use, don't hear what I'm not saying, So don't hear what I'm not saying. So Okay, so the documentary obviously was came from a, a position that uh, conversion therapy was was bad, that uh, the people who were doing it didn't know what they were doing, and they recanted all that. Uh, what what would you say it, to someone who said, "Well, you know, my my brother." Uh, was gay and he went to one of these places and he was there for uh, six weeks and when he came out he was he was not gay anymore and he was happy and now he's um, you know he married a playboy bunny I, I don't know um, <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, I mean what what would you say to that because there's there's got to be some stories like that right yeah Chad I'll let you go first yeah, I think if that actually is someone's experience, then it should be celebrated. I just, my experience has not been that. So, and, and I think, I think what I, 
what I what I think I'm trying to say is that if that is a real authentic thing that you're pursuing and it is real and authentic to you, then then that's awesome. But when it is being forced upon you by messages said by bodies of people that you trust and that you feel are an authority over you and are and and over basically whether or not you're a spiritual person or if God loves you or if you're an abomination, then then it gives me great pause. It gives me great pause as the motivating factor behind why does he feel like he needs to do that? It's not because he just thought of it one day. Someone's telling him that, but it could be real. It could. I like, I don't know. I'd have to hear that person's story. Great answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we'll go down a similar path as Chad and, and say that the same thing. Like, I don't know that person. I'd have to hear their story, but I'd want to know, like, okay, if that's their story, like, I'm, I'll throw on my Christianese pants. Like, what are the fruits of this experience? Um, is, are, is love, peace, patience, joy, you know, are those things being produced from this experience? Is this person um, more joyful? Are they, to use, you know, more biblical language, are they flourishing? Are, are they living an abundant life, the life that Jesus promised? And if they are, then great, fantastic. Like, I don't want to take that away from anybody ever. Like, regardless of your, your uh, walk in life. But if that's not the case and they, this person is coming out and they're saying, you know, hooray, I'm not gay anymore, but really internally they're struggling and uh, it's the opposite <laughs> of the fruits of the spirit. And, and, and instead there's inner darkness and, and turmoil and depression and, and angst and anxiety and fear and anger, then I don't want that for anybody. Zero people I want to have that experience. So for me, again, I'd, I'd want to meet that person and, and see how that's playing out. And like, friend, if, if this experience for you produced a life that is flourishing and abundant, wonderful. I'm happy yeah. for you. Me too. <laughs> so that, but if it's not, then, you know, I, I'd encourage otherwise, but um, that's yeah. just sure. my Good thoughts as well. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Steve? No, I love what you guys said. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I just wanted to, to yeah. throw out the possibility that somebody is going to say, uh, well, there's some good that came out of this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I remember, so I went to Messiah College, which is now Messiah University, and we had to go to chapel. Um, like we were forced to go. And then like, if you didn't go, then you would get like fined. And like, if you were late, they would lock the doors. So you couldn't get in, you know, talk about grace. Right. Um, and so we had a chapel speaker uh, who had written a book and basically he was one of these people who like, um, he didn't deny, he went through gay conversion therapy and all this kind of stuff. And he had negative things to say about it, but his position was a little bit more nuanced. He basically decided that like, oh, I'm a gay male. That's who I am. I can't change that. Da, 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 da. Um, however, for me, like my theological conviction is such that I'm not going to act on these things. And he talked, you know, so it, it was interesting to hear his perspective. Um, but he chose a life of basically celibacy and went around preaching that, that model, um, 
which then I guess you could say is like, hey, look, here's again more, here's good fruit for this person. Um, but again, if like that, if that was preached to somebody and then it didn't bring about the those things, then I would say it's it's null and void. Um, but that that experience comes back to me a lot, actually. I think about it because I still have that person's book. Um, I never actually read it, <laughs> but I own the book. And um, I don't know, it, it just comes back to me because it, it, it re- reminds me of a point in my life um, where I was still within, and not to, to shame anybody who's in this camp, like if you hold this theological conviction, then I can at least respect that. But I was of the theological conviction that like being gay in, it, in and of itself isn't the issue, but it was like the acting on it thing, what we talked about earlier. And so like, that was basically this guy's message. Um, and like, I remember like trying to tell my brother about that. And he was basically just like this listeners, I'm giving Steve and Chad a finger that means something that I'm trying to be respectful and not use that word, uh, because of my company. Um, but like that still comes up for me. And like, that bothers me. I'm not, I'm not in that place any longer. Um, but I, I don't know. I've been rambling for a minute, but I'm reminded of that guy often. So I don't know. What do you think about someone like that, Chad? That's like a whole nother interesting. Uh, yeah, that that's stuff that I've, I've heard my whole life. And honestly, I think it's, it's damaging still. And especially now in this world where with young people that are allowed to, that, that are celebrated for, for who they are, for being who they are, their authentic self. I think hearing stuff like that is, it, it messes with your, your psyche. It messes with your head. It messes with, and then you start doing self-talk and you start talking yourself into a state. So I think we got to be very careful in, in saying one person is worthy of this and one person is worthy of that. And, and I think heterosexual or homosexual has nothing to do with worthiness zero of anything yeah i'm with you on that um and and again it it just it too it just reminds me of like the fact that i myself still struggle with like having this conversation from an intellectual perspective because it's not my daily experience you know I, I don't know. Okay. So I recently had a conversation with a family member that I had not seen since before COVID started. And this was just last, last Saturday, just last weekend. And in our conversation, it, my, my family member, she, she said that she feels like it's her obligation to tell someone her beliefs if she's convicted on a certain belief. And, and my response was just because you believe something doesn't mean you have to share it. And then we went down a road about, and I, then I said, for example, perhaps you feel one way about homosexuality. And that just went down another path and it became a, a heated discussion and it was a painful discussion. And, and I felt very angry and, and I felt very, 
it just brought me back to a place of, of where I was growing up my entire life and hearing the same old message that I heard my entire life. And I think I'm just tired of it. I know some people are, are kind of tired of having the conversation, but for someone like me, I still have to have that conversation, whether I'm tired of it or not. Trust me, I'm tired of it. But there's people that need to hear this. These conversations still need to be had. There's still damage being done in the name of Jesus because they think they're saving somebody from themselves or saving somebody from hell or saving someone from whatever. So it's a, it's a conversation that I had recently. And it, it was a reminder. Like I knew this. This, we were going to be recording this this week. And I thought, wow, the timing of that conversation. <laughs> like, I haven't had to have a conversation like that in a long time. But just popped up out of nowhere. And it, it was, and, and it hurt. Because I feel like some of the, uh, the, the life choices, the decisions I've made in my life, and some of the things that, uh, that I wish I could go back and redo in my life, and our result of me being so damaged by a message I was hearing from a place I should trust. Mm -hmm. And I was hearing the opposite of what I needed to hear. And that was that God loved me, that God made me exactly the way I am, and that I should celebrate any kind of relationship that is filled with the fruits of the spirits, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things. Nothing could be said against that. So if you're in a relationship, that has all those things, it is of God and God is happy. God is smiling at you and it represents the heart of God. Hmm. Yeah. So with that in mind, Chad, I want to ask you a question um, because earlier, not earlier as in this podcast, but earlier in conversation, you said something to me that like, I still, that still really stood out to me because it's literally the opposite of my experience. You, you talked about how you feel accepted by God, but not the church. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was the opposite. I felt accepted by the, the church and not by God. <laughs> and I went through, you know, whatever. Um, but my question is, so with all of that in mind and this feeling, why, like, what is the thing that is keeping you coming back to this thing that we call the church? Because you still lead worship on Sundays. You are a part of a, a faith community. You go to church. And you and I worked together in a church where I witnessed terrible things done to you. Like the entire time I was there, it was just insane. Like the, the, I myself have secondary trauma from that experience and it wasn't even done to me. <laughs> it's just because mm -hmm. I, I was connected to you at the time. I was your friend walking, walking you through it or, or walking with you through that experience. But like, what is why how because because i don't understand i what's holding you there i think because i want to believe that the church is good i believe that all of god's creation is good and we know how much jesus loves his bride and the church is his bride and i'm part of it whether people want to accept that or not i'm here i'm here to stay I'm here to be part of this body. And, and if that means I have to be a voice and advocate, I'll do that. Maybe not on a soapbox, but, but I'll do it as, as needed. 
Yeah, I think I just, I, I want to believe that the church is good. Because I've had, like I know you, both of you, from my experience in church, and you both have loved me, you both have been the hands, the feet, the heart of Jesus to me, and it's real. And there's still people that I experience that with. The church, the organism of church is not bad. I think the organization of it can be bad. That's very gracious of you, Chad. Yeah, that... I think, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, like the... Because for me, I mean, I haven't been in a church since March of this year, which is, what is it now? September 23rd. Uh, so it's been a little bit... Um, and I don't miss it, <laughs> but I still feel like I'm a part of the church proper, the body of Christ. Uh, and so are you, and, and so is Steve. And um, yeah, I, yeah, dude, I don't, I don't know. The, the grace that you express can only come from something greater than ourself. Amen. So I, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so more tough. Yeah, because I all I want to do is just go throw glitter in their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, like that that, uh, that Bo Burnham joke where he was like, <laughs> "Yeah, my my father tells me that I act too gay on stage," and my response is, "Prove it," and he <laughs> throws glitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. Anyway, back, back, <laughs> back on task here. Um, so we, we, we've talked a, a little bit about um, your relationship to, to church still. Uh, do you think like, so people within that were, were within the documentary, they talked about the impact that their experience within that world um, has had on them. Do you feel like you still experience um, implications of what you went through is that something that you've kind of moved beyond um like how does your experience within the world of gay conversion therapy sit with you today i think it's i think gay conversion is very damaging and we need to speak up against it um like even in the documentary there was kind of like a business alignment with it where the the people doing ministry and in the camps would send people to these psychotherapists and people were making money off of this thing. They were making money off of it. So I, I absolutely would, would say it is something that needs to be, that just needs to stop. It needs to stop. So I guess that's where I sit with it today, that it is, it is not a good thing. It is not a godly thing. It is hurting people. It is damaging people. And the church should have no part of that. Yeah, I'm 100% with you there. And I guess the last thing I just want to throw out for conversation here is so often growing up, I remember uh, one of the things that my youth pastor would drill into our heads all the time uh, was test the fruits of things, you know, uh, whatever you're thinking about, or you have a question or whatever, 
just test the fruit of it. See what the fruit is. If it has good fruit, if it bears the fruits of the spirit, then it's good. If it doesn't, then it's bad. Um, and so I want to then take my youth pastor's advice and apply it to the way that the church has treated and responded to members of the LGBTQ community. And I want to ask the question, what are the fruits of the church's treatment of the LGBTQ community? Um, because I think that question matters. And also the cynical part of me wants to throw that question back into some people's faces <laughs> and have them apply it into an area that they don't want to apply it to. So if we can just sit on that for a little bit and ask that question, what are the fruits of the church's treatment of LGBTQ people? Well, I think the church is seen as judgmental from outside that that would be one of the fruits um yeah i i would say look look at your churches and here in america and it seems as if a lot of churches are in decline and if there is a church that is rapidly growing, it's probably, and I'm talking about numerically, it's probably be because of church transplants. Some people just being fed up with their church. So I'm just going to go do some church hopping and I'm going to ride that way for a while until I get upset. And then I'm going to go somewhere else. So the, I, I guess the question is, how does the church, well, the, what are the fruits of the church? I guess a better, bigger, bigger question or better question maybe is what is the church? Is it this thing that meets on Sunday mornings? Or is it actually the people here that are just doing life every single day? Is it when you go to the beach, are those people there part of the church? They're loved by God. We all are. Maybe we're all part of the church. Maybe we're all the church. What's the fruit of that? I'll tell you one thing. I don't see a lot of LGBTQ plus communities beating down the doors of the church to get in. I'll tell you that. They don't need it. Yeah, I, Chad, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. And just from my experience, like, Neither one of my brothers want anything to do with church. Um, and we grew up in church. <laughs> my little brother, my youngest brother, Justin, was baby Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and my middle brother, Jordan, uh, in fifth grade, so in the elementary school that I went to, all, all of my brothers, we all went to the same elementary school. And in fifth grade, um, they would do this thing called the Wax Museum where as a fifth grader, you got to choose any famous person from history ever. And you would do a whole bunch of research about them and then write like a short little like one page, which was a lot in fifth grade, one page speech, like introducing yourself as I'm so-and-so and this is what I accomplished and da 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 And Jordan, my middle brother, picked Jesus. <laughs> in fifth grade, he was Jesus for the wax museum 
And now neither one of those people want anything to do with the church. And when I was a... But they're uh, two very loving people. Very much so. Like very very much so. so. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And, um, but then also too, I I look around and and I know things um, like self-harm and suicide, which are both things that are touched upon in the documentary, also Mm. are the fruits of this. Mm. and i don't see a single point in the bible where where jesus you know the people's interaction with jesus was i'm going to go kill myself except maybe judas um but that (laughs) i don't think that applies to this conversation because that was a a a judas thing but um i don't know i the fruits stink and that was one of the things that really stood out to me and just um I, I messaged Steve here privately chat so you can see it because I'm sneaky like that on Zoom. And I told Steve that I wanted to throw a, a curveball out um, for Steve and I to answer. And uh, Steve was gracious enough to say, well, okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just think, because again, this idea of experience keeps coming back to me. And I know that can be a bad word depending on the circles that you swim in. However, your experience is your experience. You can't deny it. Um, it's just the it's just the nature of reality. You everything you interact with is filtered through your experience, whether you want to admit it or not. When you read a newspaper, when you read a book, when you read the Bible, when you watch a TV show, all of it is filtered through your experience. So experience matters deeply and greatly, and it impacts literally everything that we do. And I'm willing to say, and I, I think Steve would agree with me that the relationship that I personally have had with you, Chad, that experience has deeply changed and shifted um, things in my own life and in my own heart. That would not be the same today if I didn't have those experiences. And so I just, we've been, I I don't know. I just, I wanted to, to ask Steve and myself, like, Steve, if you'd be willing just to to kind of share, like what, like what has your experience of being a friend <laughs> with Chad meant to you? What, how has that uh, like aided you or, or tied into this conversation at all? Yeah, that's a great question, and I mean, I, I'll agree with you that my relationship with Chad has affected um, much of some of my thinking. And that, as I was saying earlier, it's a lot easier to just have an opinion about a concept or an idea when it's not embodied in a person. And being much older than you guys and, you know, being a Christian in the the 60s and 70s and and that time frame, um, it was never even a question, right? If somebody... You know, homosexuality was just wrong, but there was no context to that. And later on in my life, when Chad, as I said, Chad was the youth counselor for my kids. Chad was the worship leader. Chad, Chad gave me a sandwich one night when I was when I was hungry. Um, you know, Chad's been a friend for a, a long time, and. You know, I know him as a as a loving, sincere guy. So I can't put those thoughts I had 40 years ago 
onto him. So he's personified all the things that we've talked about, the fruit of the spirit, and it has nothing to do with with uh, who he's attracted to. So it kind of erased a lot of that for me. And I and I will say because I want to give credit in another area as well that you know God's sense of humor uh, also had me become extremely close to um, a woman uh, who was a lesbian woman and she started as a client and then we got to be friends and um, she she died but she was a very close friend of mine and and loved me like I hate to say this but she loved me like no pastor ever loved me and and um, yeah so we became close friends and there, there again you know somebody who I would never have uh, approached in my very strong fundamentalist days. So anyway, back to Chad. That's how Chad has affected me. And still to this day, I mean, I'm looking at him now on, you know, on the screen and I see a man who's extremely loving, who, who can lead worship like nobody uh, else, who's just uh, a, great, a great Christian. I just say it that way, you know? So. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that. I love yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve, that I've told this story to Chad before, but I, I don't know if I've I've shared it with you. I I think it's I mean I look back and laugh, but I remember um when I first started working at the uh at the Methodist church with Chad, um prior to me being hired, they did not inform me that they were affirming, nor that like people asking me and interviewing me were a part of the LGBTQ community nor that that shadow is a part of that community as well and they didn't tell me until after i was already hired and then i was like oh man like well like what if i was just like nah i'm out <laughs> like what would you guys have done um but what was interesting for me was that i so when i started working at uh the church that chen and i worked at together the methodist church um i was in a place where when someone would ask me um, what I thought about like homosexuality and all that kind of stuff um, within the Christian context, I would say it depends on what day you ask me. Um, and because in my mind, I grew up having a specific perspective, one that was non-affirming. Um, and then theologically and intellectually, I could argue against it, but I also had very good arguments theologically and, and um, you know, intellectually in, in favor of um, being non-affirming. And what I experienced at just by becoming friends with Chad um, and then experiencing worship services that Chad led, um, it, something shifted because like I was like dude I I'd have to be crazy or insane <laughs> to say that that God is not working and moving in and through Chad and his his uh worship leading and, and abilities and I don't even like Christian music I don't like I don't sing in church ever but like I knew there was something different and that experience started to shift and change me um and that, I mean, that was really the thing that kind of um, pushed me over the edge 
so to speak, into the position that I'm at now is just um, the experience and relationship that I had with Chad um, and also just the undeniable, uh, like, I don't, I don't have good words to use because I'm in such a weird place spiritually, but the, the Christianese side of me wants to grab onto this idea that the Holy Spirit was so present um, and active and flowing and moving in and through those services. And um, I remember specifically one, <laughs> one service that uh, Chad kind of broke, uh, broke the rules, so to speak, and it didn't really follow the script. Um, and it was easily the most powerful church service I'd ever been a part of. Um, and again, like that, my experience, I don't know, it, it shifted and, and did something. And, um, I mean, it pains me to say, because they're my brothers, but like, even when it was my brothers who were asking these questions, I still held on to my perspective but something about chad and my friendship with chad um broke me open to um i don't want to say a new reality but like to a different perspective and so that's uh, you know um that's been very i mean priceless so that was a, a long ramble i apologize but hopefully it meant it made sense somewhat <laughs> Your words are very kind, Josh. I really appreciate them. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, man. Much love. And you're wearing a cool shirt too. So <laughs> sweet. Um. Well, geez, I don't know. Now this is what happens when you don't script things out, which I've been working really hard not to do. Um. <laughs> you run into awkward can, moments. Can I? Can I say one yeah, maybe final? Please thought I had from the documentary yes that's a good as I was um sitting there watching it and I sat afterwards just processing what I what I just saw and relating it all to my real life experience it um the movie had had less to do with an LGBTQ plus like agenda mm -hmm. or an affirming agenda or whatever kind of agenda and I felt like it really put a spotlight on how, how, how the church loves people. Yeah. And, and I, I, when, I, when I got done watching, I was like, man, are we the church loving people? And who are these next, who is this next wave of people that we're not loving right? That's that's really profound, Chad, because if we go all the way back to the rethinking faith question, I mean, I have to admit that there are still many things about homosexuality and just everything else, you know, that I don't I can't say I understand, but I do understand that you are a man of God and that the woman I, I knew I, I spoke about was a godly woman and that I need to and, and, and others, you know, thousands of others. And I, mm -hmm. I I need to love you and know your story and mm -hmm. yeah, and let you love me. And so I I don't have those other answers. 
uh, that answer I have. And I think that's what you, you hit on. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, that, it reminds me of a, a quote that's somewhat controversial. Uh, so forgive me, but I'll explain it. And the idea is this, uh, there is no God and Mary is his mother. And what the, the, the writer of that quote is getting at is that objectively, we can't 100% prove that God is real. However, experientially, Mary is his mother. And I think that, apply, that can apply here to this conversation, if you see what I'm saying. Um, people are going to keep arguing this point theologically and objectively you're never going to get to a theological place where it's yes it's this or no it's not but experientially there's something there there's something different so to mm, i don't know yeah i get it yeah yeah so i like that steve um well i don't think i have anything else to to say about the film or anything like that. I mean, I highly suggest people watch it. I know um, I recommended it to my grandmother and, and she watched it and um, <laughs> she just turned 80 years old and she like didn't even know that that was a thing. And she was like, what? This is a real thing. <laughs> and it like, it broke her. Like she was, she was very upset by it. Um, I mean, she, she has her own thoughts and opinions. Um, but again, like it, I don't know. Uh, so I would, I would encourage people to go watch it again. It's called pray away. Um, and then if you are, uh, what's the word an overachiever, uh, you can also pick up Julie Rogers book out love a queer Christians survival story, which I have right here. Um, but I've still not been able to read it because the portions that she read in a documentary were so gut-wrenching um, that it made me want to buy her book, but I haven't actually been able to read it yet because entering that space is not fun. <laughs> but perhaps I just need to suck it up and do it. So friends, you can do that. Uh, Steve, Chad, any other closing things that you want to throw out there before we shut it down, so to speak? I just thank you guys for be willing for being willing to have this kind of a conversation still still yeah. because i think it's still much needed thank you yeah thank you i wouldn't dare try to draw a conclusion to this i think it's it's a conversation that has to be left in mid-sentence yeah i'm with you or we could use that uh piffy little set phrase there is no god and mary is his mother <laughs> there you go and Josh, when you said that you were about to say something controversial, I thought, well, we've come to expect that from you, Josh. <laughs> nice. I appreciate it. Oh, man. Yeah. I, well, we can talk about, talk about that off, off air. Uh, but at this point, listeners, thank you again so much for hanging out with us. Chad, Steve, thank you both uh, for your time. Thank you for your, your openness, your, your honesty. Uh, your willingness to come on and have these difficult kind of conversations um, and, and really put yourselves out there. And, and thank you for your willingness to not be ashamed to steep down into your heart and have a conversation from here instead of just being three brains 
talking about ideas together. And listeners, go in peace, go Caps, peace and love, and um, I got nothing. (laughs) Peace and love, guys. See you next time.